Listen, we love this country. And God really wants to bless this nation. He has blessed us. And he has blessed us. And if we would return to him, he would return to us. God had moved. And things are going to have to happen in God's economy and in God's sovereign will to wake this nation up. You know, one of the signs of the return of Jesus is there'll be earthquakes in diverse places, right? Isn't it a coincidence on the 4th of July that they had a big earthquake in California? I was wondering when God was going to break it loose from the rest of the country. No, I have compassion on the people that went through that, many good people, many godly people. But don't miss what's happening in in the world. Don't overlook what's happening uh, in the nation to see what God is up to. We're always concentrating on what man is up to. I think it would be wise for us to examine what God's up to. Today, um, needless to say, that is great to be back. I'm, I'm just telling you, you don't know how happy I am to be back at church with you. And uh, I'm feeling a lot better. And when all the antibiotics get out of my system, I will be fully alive again, for which I'm anticipating. You know, um, I was hoping, Lord, just let me have a real easy message to when I come back on my first Sunday. Uh, don't let it be controversial. Don't, don't let me stir up something, you know. But, you know, I should have never told him that. <laughs> never told him that. I want you to understand that this message today is a message of hope, but it is also a message, uh, a somewhat controversial message, because it deals with uh, things that need to be dealt with. I can assure you the truth will be spoken in love and compassion, but it will, the truth will be spoken. I want you to look in your Bibles or look on the screen at the 11th Psalm, and um, I want them to put up right now, the, just, just skip to the third verse, and, and I want you to read, the, I want you just to just let, let this sink into your spirit. If the foundations are destroyed, and then he asks a question, what can the righteous He didn't say, what can the politicians do? He didn't say, what can the the government do? He didn't say, what uh, the great businesses and bankings. He said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I would say to you today, without one hint of pride, that if America is going to become what it once used to be, then the righteous have got to do something about it. God said, what are the righteous going to do? You know, uh, as you look at the context of that psalm, I want you to notice the first three verses. It says here, David wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountains? And then he goes on and says, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. They said to David, David, for the wicked have risen up. They put their arrow to the string and they're going to shoot the upright in heart. But I tell you, you better get out of here while you can. You better flee like a bird to the mountain. It, it's get you, you just you just better you realize what's going on, and they've already bent their bow. They're going to shoot the upright in heart, but you better get out of here. Flee as a bird to the mountain. But I want you to look at David's answer. He asked the question: If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But now listen to what he said. He he was basically saying, "I'm not going to run." I'm not going to flee. I'm going to stand. Listen to what he says. He just answered that the Lord is in his holy temple. God's where he's always been. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Listen. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. You don't think God's no, you don't think God knows what's going on in Mobile, Alabama? You think God doesn't know what's going on in Berkeley, California? You think God doesn't know what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Lord is in his holy temple. And and and, and his eyes, the Lord's throne is heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test test the sons of men. Then he goes on and says, the Lord tests the righteous. Oh, how many of y'all have ever been tested? Some of you just lied. I know you've been tested. You were tested this week. The The Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. And he goes on and says in the next verse, Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind. Sounds like wildfires to me. Shall be the portion of their cup. Now listen at this. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. And his countenance upholds the upright. This morning I want to address two areas from this verse. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The first one I want to address is this. I want to mention four foundations that are being destroyed. Now I could mention many foundations in America that are being destroyed by wicked and evil people. I could mention many, but I'm just going to mention four because of their great significance. 
And three of them are right there in the first couple of books of the, of, of, of the, of the Bible. All right. Now, when I'm talking about the foundations, I have preached from this passage before, and I was talking about the foundations of this nation. And our country is laid upon a godly, righteous, Puritan, believing, godly people. Came here seeking religious freedom, and we're not even going to debate the subject. It's just, it's, the truth is, this nation had a Christian, a, not a religious, but a Christian foundation. So, but I want to talk about the foundations in the Word of God that are being destroyed. If something's important to God, the devil is going to attack it. If something's important to the kingdom of God, the demons of hell will come against it. If something is important to God, evil men and women will rise up against it. You know, the, this, this is what's amazing. The first that foundation that's being attacked is the creation of man and woman. I want you to listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And God said... Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. I want you to know, every person that's come out of the womb, every person conceived in the womb, every person that's come out of the womb, good or bad, it doesn't matter. Every person is created in the image of God. Now, we have to remember that. It'll affect the way we respond to people and the way we treat people. When God created his man and woman, he did not create junk. We were created in the image of God. Well, what's happened, Brother Fred? The image of God has been marred, marred, disfigured by sin. And so we got to understand that, that we were created in the image of God and had a definite purpose of God. It, it reads, let me read that whole verse. Let us make man and in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. You know, God's creation of man and woman in his image is under vicious attack. And it's so complicated and it's so a way out that we really have trouble wrapping our hands around it. And wrapping our arms around it. You see there's a great movement today. To do away with. Manhood. And womanhood. womanhood. To do away with it. And the issue of today. Is transgender. Transgender. Well my gender is I'm a man. And if you're a lady. Your gender is a woman. But no. They say wait a minute. No, we, 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 what about the trans? gender 
And you know, I've heard that and struggled with, with what it was and what it is. But it's really attack on God's creation that he made a mistake in the way he created some people and that he messed up. And, uh, and now it's just a movement to try to do away with any gender differences at all. You see, a transgender person is a person who is struggling with his sexuality with the, with the, way, uh, with the way he was born into this world. For example, if a, per, if, a, if a man is a transgender, he struggles with the fact that he is a man in his body, but inside of him, he wants to be a woman. And you take a transgender, and a lady is, she's a lady in her body, but, but she wants to be a man in her body. In other words, they don't like the fact that God made them a man, or God made them a female. And say so they struggle with this transgender. And they go to great lengths to try to get out of that. I've heard them say, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. Or I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body. And so now the crusade is this. Let's do away with gender. How can you do away with gender? Would you answer that question to me? You either born a boy or a girl, and that's never going to change. You say, but I can have an operation, but that still ain't going to change nothing. But you'd be amazed how, and, 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 and some of the movements in the most liberal states, they, they don't want the st- to call students boys and girls. Uh-uh. They don't want to use that. They try to come up with another name that does not have any gender to it whatsoever. No gender to it whatsoever. I've got, I can answer the question for them if they don't want to call them a boy and a girl. I want all those who have long hair to sit on the right and all those who have short hair to sit on the left. Now the girls are on the right and the boys are on the left. What part about that don't you understand? But you didn't offend them by calling them a boy. You didn't offend them by calling them a girl. Now you say, well, come on, Brother Fred. That, that's not a big deal. It's bigger than you think. LBGT stands for lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender. Transgender. That is a part of the LBGT movement. And But if they're pushing it, they're going to push away, push to have all gender mentioned a boy, man or woman, boy or girl, out of books and out of teaching. And I'm telling you, it is an unbelievably wicked thing. Because listen, they're saying God did not know what he was doing when he made male and female. That is a lie. God knew exactly what he was doing. And any way, any attempt to try to change that is ungodly and unholy and will never, ever, ever be blessed by God. I guess the saddest thing about it, and I'm going to get off this pretty quick, was this. Bruce Jenner, a man, great athlete, won the marathon. No, it wasn't a marathon. It was the, um, the who? 
the decathlon and the Olympics. But then he all of a sudden says, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. So guess what? He has all this surgery, all this surgery, all this surgery. And now he's not, on, not called Bruce Jenner anymore because in his eyes, he is not a man. And I've seen him since he had the surgery. He ain't too nice looking woman either. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> I think he may have messed up. But see, the thing about it is, I have compassion on him. This, listen, I have compassion on him. A person doesn't get to that point in their mind unless the devil is just deceiving them and working on them. And so what I do is to pray for him. Dear God, wake him up. He may not can change back again, but at least, dear God, let him repent. But by the way, he won one of Hollywood's greatest accolades because he changed from being a man to a woman. Woo. Is that where we are? God have mercy on us. But there is a battle, and it's going to be fought about gender. That's why they won't have men and women using the same bathroom. No, that's not right. You don't need to do that. You don't want to use the bathroom I've used. I've never been able to do it right in my life. You have to wipe up the floor. No, I don't need to go there. Dear, dear God. <laughs> I do not need to go there. <laughs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> but see, a foundation that is being destroyed is the foundation of the distinct image of a man and a woman created in God's image to express God's power to express his character, to, exp to express who he is. We're to express the very life of God. So what do you do, Brother Fred? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to condemn those people. They're already condemned. And it's not because of that, that fact that they're transgender. They're condemned because they are without Jesus Christ. He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of god so i have nothing but compassion i, I had this happen I, I i i've been through a lot of counseling sessions in my life but about five years ago a, a sweet godly man that i had great love for not a member of this church now doesn't attend here came to me and said brother fred my son wants to have a sex change he wants to become a woman and he wants me to give him the money to do it. He said, I, I can't do it. I said, don't do it. Don't do it. He was going to get all these t uh, uh, shots that you get, you know, to, that help you not be a man and toward a woman. I don't know what to call. But he was going to have surgery and stuff. I said, don't do it. And, and it, I just said to myself, how does a young man raised by a Christian father get into a situation like this and man I've prayed for him many times and had compassion and I have compassion on him now but remember you say brother Fred that's in California oh no 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 maybe next door and you don't even know it but it is a foundation that's being destroyed the second foundation of the Bible that's being destroyed that's being attacked 
is marriage and the family. You know, what's important to God? He created us in his image. He loves us. He wants to have fellowship with us. He will forgive us. He will restore us. He, he doesn't want these people who have this uh, demonic influence of being transgender. He doesn't want them to die and go to hell. He loves them just like he loves sinners and loves you and me. And God wants them. And so we, we, we can't look at them with an eye and condemn them. We can look at them and say, oh, dear God, have mercy on them and wake them up and let them get saved, Lord. But, you know, the same thing is true of marriage. We've said as the family goes, so goes the nation. Of course, I don't have to go into that. You know that the foundation of marriage is under attack. You know, we, we believe in government by the people and for the people. Amen? It's not government by the government for the government. Sometimes I think that's what it is. They all, they're all putting it on their own plate. But uh, you know the tragic thing? When those eight Supreme Court justices made a ruling that it was a legal right for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman, when they made that decision that it was a legal right, they were really violating the will of the people. There were already 30 states that had gone on record. Not some had voted, some hadn't. That that was not going to be legal in their state. But all of a sudden, the Supreme Court overruled that by an overriding decision. And then it had to be legal in every state. That went against the will of the American people. But you see what happens? After something happens and it goes on, the sting of it, the tragedy of it, the wickedness of it somehow eludes us. And we don't realize how serious this is in the eyes of God. But I, there is an attempt to redefine marriage as between a man and a woman created in his image. I remember that uh, the Bible says, uh, God said about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. And so then in Genesis 2 and 3, he, he, he said, well, I'm going to give him somebody that he can uh, be his companion. And he led all the animals by Adam, and he gave them their name. Now, what did you think Adam thought when that hippopotamus came through that line? And when it was all said, God did not find anyone that would be a comparable helpmate to Adam. So, took one of Adam's ribs and created woman in his image, image of God, and brought him to Adam. And Adam said, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And the two became one. We're not even aware that they were naked. You see, God has a plan for marriage. No family without the marriage of a man and a woman. So it's under attack. And that's the foundation that they're trying to destroy. And the devil's behind it all. Well, why do we, what about those people? Well, we love them. We want them to be saved. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I do not want anybody to go to hell. I don't care what their gender is or what they, how crazy they are in their minds. I don't, 
I don't, listen, we love people. But for the grace of God, that could be us. I'm telling you right now. And we need the grace of God and the mercy of God. And we need to pray for those people. And we need to love them. And we need to reach out to them if they'll let us. But most of the time, they won't do it. Here's the third foundation that is being destroyed. It's biblical morality. Biblical morality. In Exodus chapter 20, I want you to just look at this biblical morality. You know, it's the Ten Commandments. Now, I want to say this very clearly. All the ceremonial laws that you find in the Old Testament, and there are a lot of ceremonial laws. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad I don't have to try to keep up with the ceremonial laws. They, they could do this, and they couldn't do that, and they couldn't do this, and they had to wash this, and they couldn't wash that. This had to be drained, and this didn't have to be drained. Man, that'd drive you nuts trying to remember that. All I know is break the egg, put it in the frying pan, and eat it. So God, the ceremonial law, passed when the new covenant came. But the moral law of God, stay with me, has never changed. It has never changed. Just look at it. On the screen, you shall have no other gods before me. You say, well, Brother Fred, I'll tell you one thing. I feel good about that. You won't find any carved image in my house. Oh, no, 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 you won't find one. You might find a square one, a TV. No, I'm not going to go there. But you won't find any carved image in my house. That's not what he's talking about. An idol is anything you love more than you love God. That's your idol. Oh, yes. If there's something, if you had to choose between God and that, and you would choose that, you got an idol. You're guilty of idolatry. I have a friend that go to this church. He's getting up in years. He has one besetting sin in his life. And he will not turn to Jesus. Oh, he says he's a follower of Jesus and all that stuff, but he will not confess that Jesus is God because I'm going to tell you right now, he loves that besetting sin more than he loves God. And that is his idol. So you don't have to have a carved image in your house. If there's anything that's more important to you, more significant to you, that you put ahead of God, if you have a choice to do this or that, and this is what would please God, and this is what would please yourself, and you do what you'll please yourself, you just became your own idol. Biblical morality is under attack. And, and I'm going to go on and just quickly mention them. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then don't make any carved image or anything like that. Don't do that. Then on the next verse, he says, you shall not bow down to these carved images and all that. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. Then he comes to the next one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
You know, there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of words in the English language and in the language of this world. But have you ever noticed that when secular humanism who denies the deity of God and all of that are behind whatever program it is, they make a point, they make a point to at least take God's name in vain three or four times. Has nothing to do with the plot, but they just have an opportunity to curse God. And guess what they do? They do it, and guess what? They know what they're doing. I'll tell you one thing. It is a serious thing to curse God. And it's a serious thing for you to ask God to curse another person. I'll tell you another thing, too. If we profess to be followers of Jesus and our life does not match our talk, basically we're taking the name of Jesus in vain because we're saying we are his follower, but our life does not represent who he is. You see, the moral law of God has never changed. And it goes on and says in the next verse, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that one day a week you're to set it apart, to worship God, and that's to be the focus of your day. And that's when you gather to worship and all that stuff. And we're not bound to, to, to a particular day. We, we have chosen as Christians to uh, worship on the resurrection day of Jesus. And there's plenty of stuff in the New Testament that says that's fine. You, don't, you just read it. It'll tell you that the day uh, can be what, God, what it means to you and God. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land. Did you know that's the only command with a promise? <laughs> if you honor your father and mother, God's going to bless you with a long life. I'm just telling you what he said. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You say, Brother Fred, my father was not honorable. He was your birth father. God didn't say honor him if he's honorable. If he's one who helped you come into this world, you honor him. You say, well, my mother was not an honorable woman, but she's the one that gave birth to you, and she's your biological mother. You say, but they hurt me. It's called forgiveness. They say, well, they abandoned me. Then Jesus, God said he would be your father. But I'm saying that, uh, now let me tell you about the moral law of God. And it, it goes, let me go on and re read the other ones. It says, thou shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie by bare false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant or female servant, or his ox, nor his donkey. I'm not, I don't think we have a problem with that, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Let me tell you something. Deliberate effort, deliberate effort in the 40s and the 50s to destroy biblical morality. And it has been done. The religion of most Americans today, whether they know it or not, is secular humanism. They may be a Methodist, but they could be a secular humanist. You could be a Baptist and be a secular humanist. Secular humanism says there are no moral absolutes. 
It's, and I, 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 I researched it last night. It says any conduct, any consensual conduct between a man and a woman is, has no limits and there are no boundaries. The situation in our society, there are no moral absolutes. The situation determines if it's right or the situation determines if it's wrong. So I'm telling you, biblical morality flew out the window in America. And now that, the, the standard for moral behavior is secular humanism. You know what they said? No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. In Humanist Manifesto 2, it says, a sal- uh, the, the, the promise of salvation and heaven and, 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 and God caring and loving people and being involved in their life is a myth, is a myth. It's harmful to people, and it shouldn't be taught or preached. Okay, that was a third one, biblical morality. And here's the fourth one, and that is this. Uh, the all-out attack to destroy the integrity, authority, infallibility, inerrance of the Bible. All-out attack. I know it's been going on since 1960. Started way before then. When I attended seminary the first year, I'd come from a secular college, and I had professors that said, the Bible is not the Word of God. It It contains some of the Word of God. And we have to determine what's of God and not. And they taught a, a system called demythologizing the New Testament. And man, they denied the deity of Christ. They denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And let me tell you why. A lot of denominations are, have gone down the tube. They're apostate. They're apostate. They deny the word of God. They, they do things that are directly against the word of God. Directly against they're universalists. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved, then you're lost. You need to understand that. But the Bible is under all-out attack. And the see uh, denominations cave into it, cave into it and become dead and lifeless. Well, what do you do? You pray for them. You don't judge them. We pray for them. We ask God to open their eyes, to restore their confidence in the Word of God. We don't sit back and point our finger. No, we, we love people. I mean, I, 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 want, I want humanists to be saved. I want people who deny the Word of God to be saved. It's not a matter that we're sitting here in judgment and say, well, go right ahead and go to hell. That's what you deserve. No, that's not our heart. It's not our heart. Our heart is that we want people to be saved, to come to know Jesus to be born again. Listen, but for the grace of God, if he hadn't got me out of that seminary after one year, caused my circumstances, who knows where I would be? Because, man, I was being overwhelmed by lies and deception. Okay, now, here's the most important part of my message. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it's going to be very simple. First of all, You can't do anything unless you're righteous. 
You can almost overlook that. Well, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the church members do? If the foundation be destroyed, what can organized religion do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can uh, the, the Optimist Club do? Listen, listen. The only one who can ever be a part of restoring the foundation are righteous people. Righteous people. Oh, the Bible says God's eyes are on the righteous. And so the hope for America and the restoring of our foundation is for God to raise up a generation of righteous people. You know, somehow we have dumbed down the new birth. We've dumbed down the gospel. Somehow you can, you can ask Jesus to be your Savior, and, 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 and maybe you don't know what you're doing or what you don't, but then it never, ever changes your life. You're never changed. You're never changed. Well, that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you believe in Jesus. But if you have ever had an encounter with him, you become a righteous man or woman. And in your righteousness, God can use you to make a difference. You know, one of the problems today is we don't uh, really believe that, well, a lot of people don't believe anybody's lost. Somehow they all going to make it. Have you ever been to a funeral where the person said, Now I know Bill, and I loved him, but he lived a wicked life, and he's gone to hell. You ain't never been to a funeral where they said that, and you won't go to one. They can't stand the thought of it. I'm telling you. <laughs> I preached a funeral for a man one time. Who, who was kind of wavered, but he'd gotten saved and changed. And when I got through, a guy came up to me and said, I wondered who was in that casket. I didn't have any idea who you were. That sure wasn't the guy you had in that casket. I said, he changed. I sure don't like to do uh, funerals for people I don't know. Man, don't ask me. To, I, I'll do it, but don't ask me to. Because if I don't know them, I'm going to have to say this. I know nothing about their personal life. I had no contact with them. I cannot say to you they are saved or lost. Only God knows. And, and I don't preach them into heaven. I don't. I don't preach them into heaven. I never will forget when Jesse James, that boxer, uh, he came to our church on Wednesday night three times. Then he went missing, and he was killed in a drug deal. And uh, they had the funeral over at Mobile Memorial Gardens. And since he had been to our church three times on Wednesday night, they asked me to do the funeral. I didn't know him well enough on three Wednesday nights, how you doing, to, to preach that funeral. But Lord have mercy, I've never seen so many lost people in my life. They all had on black uh, coats and cowboy hats. And we put his body on a, a wagon and pulled it by a horse. And there I was walking in front of that horse, pulling that casket, saying, my Lord, what am I doing? Because <laughs> I knew where he was. I knew where he was. That's what broke my heart. He got close. He got close. But I want to tell you something. People without Christ are lost. Now, you've got to understand that. 
Well, my son's a good, good, good boy. He's a good boy. But, but, but he's not living right now, and he hadn't lived right for 15 years. Well, he's not a good boy, okay? But, you know, he prayed when he was 12 years old and asked Jesus to be his Savior, but he's never been changed. I can't judge whether that was genuine or not, but I can say this, that if he is converted, he will be changed before he dies. You don't limp into heaven a wicked person. You don't do that. You do not do that. I didn't say you went into heaven as a perfect person, but I'll tell you what you did do. You go into heaven with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you're as righteous as the Son of God, and that's the only way you'll ever get in. You've got to believe a person's lost, and you've got to understand how, what a peril it is. Jesus talked about the lost sheep. He talked about the lost coin. He talked about the lost son. He said, I have come to seek and to save those that are lost. Do you know anybody that's lost? Do you have any friends that if they died today, they'd go to a Christless eternity in hell? You see, the problem is 90% of us, 90% of the people don't believe in hell. Everybody believes in heaven, most people, but very few people believe in hell. Well, all I know is the Bible has a lot to say about judgment. You've got to believe you're lost. And then you've got to have a godly sorrow over your sin. You're not going to be righteous until you realize that your sin is against God. Worldly sorrow never changed anybody. Let me read you a verse. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. You see, we've got to have righteous people. People that are truly born again. Truly a new creation in Christ. Truly a devoted follower of Jesus. It's got to be a righteous person that changes society. In 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11. Godly sorrow. I sinned against God. I sinned against God. I may have sinned against you. But I sinned against God. That breaks my heart. Godly sorrow produces repentance. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I can't do that to Jesus. I can't do that to God. I'm not doing that anymore. It's a sin against God. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world produces death. All right. Observe what this very thing, that when you saw it in a godly manner, what diligent it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what, what vindication in all things, you proved yourselves clear in this matter. You know the only sin you have not repented of is the one you, the only sin that you have repented of is the one you no longer practice. Well, I used to lie, but I, I lie about half the time. Come on. The only sin you've truly repented of is the one you no longer practice. And so you've got to ask yourself, am I practicing sin in any area of my life? You see, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Not what can the church do, 
not what the community action group can do. Not, not, I'm just telling you, the only people that God is going to use to change this nation back to God are righteous people. And you'll never be righteous apart from the Lord Jesus Christ because he gives you the power to live a righteous life. So there's a godly sorrow. And then I love Romans 10, 8 through 13. Listen to what it says. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart the depths of your being, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will. For with the heart, the depth of your being, not your mind, not just your intellect, with your heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to ask you this today. Are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? I'm going to tell you how you can tell. I want to just give you some verses and then I'm going to pray. All right? The Bible says that we are the lights. A righteous person is a light shining in darkness. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Is this true of you at work? Is this true of you at school? Is it true of you with your neighbors? You know? We, 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 yeah, I, I can't say that. But anyway, um, are you light in your community? You are the light of the world. Lord, I'm just one person. He said, it doesn't matter. You're righteous. You're in Christ. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Listen to what Jesus said. I'm talking about your light. And in, in, in Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your light so shine before men. Oh, let it shine before men. They'll know you're righteous. They'll know you're righteous because you live a righteous life. It's the righteousness of Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen to what Jesus said about it. John 9, 4 and 5. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Now listen to what Jesus said. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. But you know, Jesus went back to the right hand of the Father. So who's going to be the light of the world now? It's going to be Christ in us. The righteous can do something about this society. It's going to be the light of Christ in us. And then Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. He, now st stay with me now, who follows me shall not walk in darkness. Hmm. You don't walk in darkness. 
You don't go to movies that are full of darkness, cursing God, naked, sensual. You don't do that. You don't do that. He says, who follows me will not walk in darkness. You won't walk in darkness. Well, I watch this show on television, and they don't have any bad words. But there are so many innuendos where they're talking about that they're implying things, implying things, putting them in your mind. No, I'm not trying to, I'm not on a crusade against television, but I'll tell you what, you feed your flesh and your flesh will rise up. You feed your spirit and you'll be strong in the Lord. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. What part of that do I not understand? But you will have the light of life. The light of life. And you go on in um, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this world has blinded, who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. And so God, the gospel of Christ is there, but their eyes have been blinded. But how do, what do you do to people that are spiritually blind? You try to reform them? No, you tell them about Jesus. Look what they said in the next verse. We don't preach ourselves. We're not going to these people and say, I can help you. I can fix you. You need this. You need that. No, you go to them and say, let me tell you something. There's only one way I can help you, and that is to introduce you to Jesus Christ. There's only one way I can help you is to let you see Christ in me and to let you know that Jesus Christ has all power. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ, that's his deity. Jesus, that's his humanity. Lord, and we are your servants for Jesus' sake. Well, here are the last three verses. This is what the righteous can do. Are you listening to me? If the foundations are destroyed, you can know you're saved. And you can know you're saved by the life you live. And there's evidence and fruit that you do belong to Jesus but listen to what it says. Ephesians 5, 6 through 8. Listen. Let no one deceive you with empty words. <laughs> because these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. All right, now here it is. Are you listening to me? This should be your testimony. You were once darkness. I was. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's what will, that's what will restore the foundations. Walk as children of light. Then there's the next verse. Set your mind on Jesus. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when I go to Walmart or to Publix or to Winn-Dixie or I don't know all the stores. I don't want to leave any out. They say I'm prejudiced. I'll just, but anyway, 
When, when you go, I want to tell you something. Does light walk in that place? Do you treat people with light? Do, do, do they see Christ? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you go in there, they're going to see Jesus. Just by the attitude and emotions that you have and the way you do it. I tell you, the next time you get in line and the person in front of you has got 25 coupons that they want to redeem and you know you're going to be standing there 40 minutes, I want you to check out how you feel. Does it get all over you and say, how can they be so dumb? Boy, you just failed the test. You should have gone up to the cashier and said, man, you handled that so good. I'm so thankful that you did that. And you know, I'm thankful that she had those coupons because she probably didn't have enough money to get any groceries. You see, when you walk in the store, Jesus needs to walk in. What can the righteous do? You've got to be righteous. The only righteousness you'll ever have is the righteousness of Jesus. And to have that, you've got to know you're lost and repent and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love this one? This, this is the answer. What can the righteous do? I'm crucified with Christ. I died with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. When you walk, you pull up to get to cleaning, Jesus drives up under that carport to pick the cleaning up. The people that God puts in your life unexpectedly, and, and, and you know this is a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. And so what we've got to do is we've got to realize that Christ lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for you. Let me tell you how you can know you're righteous. Christ lives in you. And he lives through you. You're not perfect. You don't bat a thousand. But I tell you one thing, you're different. You're righteous. Listen, we're trying to fix it in the arm of the flesh. Only righteous people can be used by God to change the condition of this world. And we must, must have churches full of righteous people who don't act like the world, live like the world, and do what the world does. They are devoted, holy followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only kind of people that will ever change this society. That's the only kind. I can tell them all, all day about Jesus, but if they don't see Christ in me, I'm wasting my time and theirs. Here's the last verse. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Hallelujah. Old things are passed away. Not what it used to be. Glory to God, I'm not what I'm going to be. By the grace of God. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. 